Welcome to the Myths That Make Us podcast. I hope I can say welcome back because that means that you were listening to some of the episodes before. But regardless, today we have on Krista Large. She is a trainer here at Onnit, and she has a pretty interesting story. When I first started here almost two years ago, her desk was right behind my desk and she was working in compliance. And I always saw like she had like a bike helmet or she had just got done doing some crazy run or crazy swim in the morning. And I could tell pretty early on that her passion was not to be shuffling reams of legal papers about how to adequately clean, you know, the factory that you produce your pills in and that her real passion was fitness. And she told me a couple of months in, you know, that she wanted to become a trainer. And now she's a fucking trainer here. And it's really cool to see people's dreams like unfold before you. And she's an example of that. And on the podcast, you know, we get into her early upbringing and she was really honest about some stuff that I was surprised that uh, she was willing to share. And we get into her story and her myth and we just do the damn dance that we do on this podcast. And it was beautiful. I know that you guys will enjoy this, especially if you've enjoyed previous ones. And if you would like to help more people enjoy this, um, the way that this grows is through y'all's help. And the best way that you can do that is to share a rating and a, and a review on iTunes or just share, like send this episode to someone who's close to you that you think it'll help or, you know, give us a shout out on social media. Um, this is the age where the size of your podcast matters depending on who you want to get on and what you're trying to do in the world. And to be frank, I'd like to write a book one day. And one of the main ways that I will be able to justify that is by telling them the size of the audience. That's just where we at, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I love you guys. Thank you guys for being um, present and for giving your attention to this episode. There's so many things in your life that could be bringing it other places. And I appreciate it. As always, you know what I'm about to say, so I'm going to drag it out just a little bit. Okay. Namaste. Krista, thank you for coming on the podcast. You are one of the first people that talked to me when I started working here at Onnit about a year and a half ago. And back when I started here, you were working in compliance which is one of the most cubicle of the cubicle jobs here at Onnit. And you were always going on super long runs and bike rides and swimming and running marathons and wanting to be outside. And it seemed like not the right fit for you. And now over the course of a year and a half, you are now one of the main trainers in the gym. And I think that that's a really cool transformation that I hope to get to. But I just want to say congratulations on that. Thank you. It's been about six months now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, e so I'm almost always the first person in the office part of on it here and one of the last people to leave, but the gym people are always here before me and always here after me. It's like, y'all must be doing like 16 hour days. Uh, yeah, it's about 12 on average. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like a new normal. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys are on a different level. Yeah. So the question that I like to start off with is um, if you, if I had met you for the first time and you just got done doing something that puts you into a flow state, so you're in a really just peaceful, zoned in state, and I asked you, who are you and what do you do? 
Like, what is the thing you do in the world where you exchange value to get meat suit tokens so you can pay your rent? Like, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, my name is Krista. Uh, I'm probably most calm after banging out some deadlifts, which I actually just did. So I feel pretty Perfect. <laughs> peaceful right now. Uh, and what do I do? Um, well, currently I'm on a mission to lo- knock out 100 life goals. Wow. Like 100 things in life that I'm committed to that I've written down. The list is actually not complete yet, but um, I'm after that and mainly just want to inspire people to live full out, live large. That's dope. Hey, live large. Her <laughs> last name, by the way, is large. Um, how would your best friend describe you and what you do? I don't have a best friend. I'm just gonna let that sit. Okay. <laughs> um, if if I asked you your closest friend, just who whoever is the first one that comes up, or if I just say friend, how would your friend, so a single person, mm-hmm. just whatever is the first person that comes up, how would they describe you and what you do? Uh, I guess they'd say that I'm uh, sporty and fun. <laughs> and what would they say that you do? What I do, uh, I'd like for them to say that I'm a badass leader. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably have recorded about a hundred of these and you're the first person to say that you don't have a best friend. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I haven't had a best friend in years and it's something I've been on the search for. Yeah. So yeah. um what feels like the difference between the friends that you have and what a best friend would be? Mm, just like a running mate, someone that's always down to do things with me. Uh preferably someone who's the same sex as me. Right. Did female, you yeah. yeah, for sure. Did you have a best friend at one point? Yeah, in college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happened there? Yeah, she uh she lives far away now for sure yeah we're still good friends but i don't see her that often yeah it must be hard to find a woman who's willing to deadlift on monday and then (laughs) bike ride for 35 miles on tuesday and then to swim for 12 miles on wednesday and then to deadlift again on thursday she's out there right (laughs) she's out there if there's anyone listening who lives in austin who uh does anything like that please reach out to krista great how would your lover describe who you are and what you do Oh, um, he would say that, uh, yeah, definitely very goofy, fun, positive. And what I do is help people change their lives for the better. How would your father describe who you are and what you do? Mm, He would probably say that I'm sweet, but he really doesn't know me too well. Yeah. Yeah. And how would your mother describe who you are and what you do? Uh, she'd probably say that I am persistent and fearless and amazing. <laughs> she always texts me. <laughs> and uh, what would she say that you do? What would she say that I do? Um, motivate and inspire. Now, let's say that you're either in a dream state or you just did some psychedelics, allegedly, or maybe you're at church and you're experiencing an altered state and you're coming face to face with that thing that we call God or whatever it is. Mm. How would that thing describe you and what you do? Oh, I uh, sounds kind of weird, but I, I really 
tap into God whenever I'm in the float tank, mm. which I do pretty often, mm. a couple times a week. And um, I, I have a mission. I have to, will you ask the question again, please? Yeah. Let's say that you're in that altered state. Yeah. You're in the float tank and you're coming into contact with that thing that we call God. Mm-hmm. How would that thing describe you and what you're doing? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> That's a hard question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. From um, that perspective. You said that you have a mission. Do you know what the mission is? Mm, yeah, to help people live a life that's very healthy and vibrant and limitless. Large. Large, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you recall your first memory being? Oh, it's actually a bad one. It's the truth. Um, it's a memory of my grandmother and my mom pulling me by my arms and my feet, like playing tug of war with me when I was like four. Do you know where the context was? My mom was young when she had me and um, she was trying to run away. And what is the primary emotion that you have attached to that memory? Confusion. I appreciate you sharing that because I can tell that it's not easy for you to talk about that. But it's real. Yeah, it's the truth, you know, and um, there are quite a few people who their first memory is not pleasant, you know. Um, So growing up, what do you remember being the first story that you really attached to? So most young children will find a book or a movie or a story mm-hmm. that their parents will tell them and they will ask for it to be told over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you remember being the first story for you? And was it a movie or a book? Or uh, Yeah, I guess I, I watched The Lion King a lot and requested that that play yeah. be played. So I want to challenge you to um, imagine that you're babysitting a niece or a nephew or you have a child now and they're 10 and they're going to bed and they want you to tell them a story Uh and you're going to tell them the story of the Lion King as you remember it, not as it actually is, just like what feels good to you. And I'm going to ask that you speak it as if you're talking to the 10 year old daughter who is going to bed. How would you tell the story of the Lion King? God, I I honestly barely even remember the storyline. And so this is, there is potential for something beautiful to happen here if you don't resist, you know, the um, inclination of it having to be accurate to how it actually was. So let's just say that you were having fun. Maybe you had one glass of wine and you're feeling creative and fun with your child. And you're just going to try to tell your version of the Lion King story. How would you tell that story? And, and say it as if you were talking to your daughter. Uh, there's a story about some lions and the uh, 
father dies, so the boy has to grow up and be a man and <laughs> find love. Okay, so I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Um, that was a Cliff Notes synopsis of uh -huh. The Lion King. Really try to step into the experience of it's nighttime. You've had a really beautiful day with your daughter. She is getting ready for bed. And you're going to tell her like a two-minute story. You know, so like once upon a time, okay, gotcha. there were a family of lions, you know, and um, just imagine that she is there and you're trying to give her a story for her to go to bed with. Okay. And so I'm going to ask you to tell the story of okay. the Lion King for like one to two minutes. Okay. All right. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a little boy and his father and his mother, and uh, they were kings of this land far away in Africa. And one morning the father died and so did the mother. So this boy was left alone and he had to grow up really quickly and find himself as a man and grow up so he can one day rule the kingdom just like his father. He ended up finding love and... I don't know what happened. <laughs> and so if, if you just had to try to close that story up as, as an ending, what mm -hmm. would you add to that? Mm. That they lived happily ever after. That's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the reason I asked this question is that it seems to be that the way that our mind works is we very early find a story that represents or at least can mold onto how we see the world. Mm -hmm. And then we unconsciously start to use that story as the script of the hero that is us. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is the Lion King is actually my answer to this too. Okay. Um, but so here's what I'm seeing. Uh, without getting too much into the details, uh, did you feel that you were an orphan in some sense growing up? And it sounds like you have to be hyper strong. Totally. To like come back and like win the kingdom. And then the crowning for you right now is the loving relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I would say so. From a very young age, I kind of felt like I needed to step up because mm -hmm. my mom was very young. She had me 10 days after her 16th birthday. Wow. So I had to like kind of, and I grew up as an only child, so I had to just, oh, wow. yeah, make it work. <laughs> For sure. Um, what do you remember as the first two to three people that you most admired as a child? Um, they can be real or fictional. Yeah. Um, one would be my dad's sister. She's about the same age as my mom. Uh, I remember her someone else growing up that would be my grandmother who helped my mom raise me primarily and then the third person would be um, it could be someone from a movie or a book yeah I'm thinking probably my other grandmother yeah yeah she was there too if you had to describe one quality 
in each of them so three qualities um what was the thing that you most admired about these three women i love my aunt's laugh um i love my grandma's uh nurturing she used to make me butter crackers <laughs> and ramen noodles um and then uh my other grandma i uh, just always felt taken care of yeah yeah and what i find is that the qualities that we admired the most and the people that we admired the most are qualities that this like internal guiding force inside of us sees in other people that we could acquire that if, if we acquired, we would get closer to who we could be. And so do you find that you kind of of have absorbed your aunt's laugh and then your ability and wanting to take care of other people um, from these people? Yeah, I'd, I'd hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a harder question to answer, but I also find that the opposite happens, that the qualities and the people that we had the most resistance to are the parts of our shadow and um who were the people either real or fictional that you had the most resistance to growing up mm. uh, one would be my dad and his wife uh do you need a third um yeah is is there a character from a movie or a book that really like stuck with you who was a villain a villain uh i mean i guess the first thing that comes to mind is the joker yeah yeah okay so if you had to identify a quality in each of those three one in your dad one in your stepmom and one in the joker uh what would be those three qualities uh my dad oh man i, I think that he uh in a lot of ways just I think I lost a lot of respect for him when he would neglect me. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that the quality that you saw was like not taking responsibility or being a coward? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just not stepping up and being right. a man. Yeah. For sure. And then uh, two would be my stepmom and uh, she's sneaky. Sneaky. Yeah. Sneaky. For sure. And then uh, the Joker, I'd probably just say the same thing. Kind of just sneaky. If you had to um, quantify what the Joker is other than sneaky, because I think it's something slightly different, how would you describe like what that quality is? Because the Joker isn't exactly sneaky. He's he's almost like purposefully like in your face, you know, like it's, it's not quite the same as like the conniving, manipulative mm. behind the scenes type of thing. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, I guess... Uh... Like, is it just the blatant disregard? Yeah. Maybe the chaos or something? Yeah, I don't I don't remember, like, who the Joker was. That was just, like, the, the first thing that popped up into my mind. Yeah. I'm not really, like, a Batman fan. For sure. Um, but, yeah, I just, I, yeah, when I, when I think about the Joker, I think about, like, Heath Ledger, like, laughing, like, almost dead. Um, yeah, I guess you're right. Just, like, in your face. Yeah. Snickering. Right. You know? And what I find is that these qualities are the qualities of our personal shadow that uh, we have to pay the most attention to for it not to become, for it not to come out. So mm. like the example here is 
you know, uh, we all have a shadow part of us, like the qualities of us that we're not proud of. And we all have all the bad qualities of humanity. Like we, we all have the potential to be murderers and rapists and all of that. But there's a subsection of the shadow that is actually like our shadow. Like it's, it's the opposite of our e egoic conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And I find that the characters that we have the most resistance to, the qualities in them are the ones that we really have to pay attention to, to not let sneak into our lives. Yeah. Does that yeah, resonate? Yeah, it does. Yeah, sure. Um, so kind of shifting gears, what was the first event that felt like it kind of brought you on this path to bring you where you are now? Like, was it sports? Was it like an injury? Like, what was the thing in your early childhood that kind of brought you towards, you know, where you are today? Um, I guess it wasn't like super early childhood. I guess I was 21. Is that okay? Uh, for sure. I'm going to ask some questions that will take us back further, but we can okay. start at what the 21 is. Gotcha. Yeah. It was a breakup when I was uh, 21. I ended up getting engaged to this man who's like uh, a little bit older than me. And uh, I was still in college at the time. And uh, yeah, it ended up going really south. He ended up being this crazy pathological liar. And after that, I just got really pissed off and just kind of started doing things all on my own, started running a lot, took out a bunch of loans, started paying for everything myself. And yeah, just grew up kind of overnight. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, being born to a very young mother and then a father who wasn't there to take responsibility, how did you even get to college? Like, like what was the path there? Because a lot of people's stories seem like if that's where they started, it's unlikely that they would have made it to college. And so I'm curious, like, what was the path? Yeah. Um, growing up, my mom was just always a bad bitch. And um, she had a really great job at a really supportive uh, grandparents that helped take care of us. And my mom ended up moving me to a really nice area of Texas called the Woodlands. And I was just surrounded by a lot of, uh, I guess, stable families there. And I got really involved with cheerleading and everybody in my high school went to college. And so kind of just fit, fell in. Oh, cool. There. Okay. So, yeah. And where did you go to college and what did you study? I went to Ole Miss in Oxford, Mississippi, and I studied nutrition and dietetics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So um, you're about to graduate and you find out that the person that you've been dating and engaged to is a liar. Yeah. And you get pissed off. Uh-huh. Um, there is this moment in our lives where uh, we're young and we're naive and we have this dream of what we're going to be. And mm -hmm. then that dream explodes. Mm -hmm. um, mine was, I truly thought I was going to play professional basketball. I tore my rotator cuff. That dream exploded. Mm -hmm. It sounds like yours was, I'm going to go get married to this man yeah. and live happily ever after. And then that dream exploded. What was, can you zoom in to the moment you found out that that dream was false and like where were you uh how did you find out and um what was the process of moving through that period of like darkness oh wow uh, i think it was something that i had known for a, a, like a month or two i and i was aware that people must think i'm crazy to just like put everything on pause i almost dropped out of college but last minute ended up freaking out and rolling into college like the first Thursday of the my senior semester. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I told him to move to Oxford. And then that's that's how I ended up finding out that he was lying and stealing belongings. Things just weren't adding up. So he didn't live in the same place as you? Yeah, we. I, I moved back to Houston for the summer in between junior and senior year. And then that's when things like escalated way too quickly with us. I was just living in Houston and we were together nonstop and we got engaged. And I thought that uh, I was just going to drop out of college and we were going to be uh, young, successful people in the woodlands living there. And then... Yeah, found out that he just wasn't who I thought he was. So the reason I'm pressing to zoom into this actual moment is mm -hmm. there are going to be people listening who are going or have gone through something similar. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really helpful to hear how people move through, you know, that quote unquote dark night of the soul. So um, I'd, I'd like to ask again, what was the moment you found out? And like, what was it like? And how did you move through that? It was some Jerry Springer shit, <laughs> honestly. I found that he, that he was lying to me and um, I had to kind of kick him out of the house. Was it like a text message or a phone call or were you guys talking and he slipped? Did you see something? Yeah, I just was like, I was supposed to go to, to this different city to go take this like study USA program and he had stolen my passport and my driver's license and like rigged my car to where I couldn't drive anymore and just sort of like what what is happening and I I don't know I ended up going into our closet and finding a bunch of things like receipts he like pawned a bunch of my belongings and I had like some credit cards in there and just there was like a bunch of pills too. I was like, what the hell? So I ended up calling him saying, do not come home. Ended up locking the doors and just waiting in my room. And I could just hear him like banging on the door, trying to get in the house. I called the cops on him, told him he needed to come pick up his stuff, like gave him back his engagement ring. Uh, yeah. And I, I got really, really pissed off and I started running the next day, just miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Yeah. To get through it. What was his, um, lie about like, you know, cause pathological liars are still going to give you a story about like why did, why it is they did what they did. What was his story? I don't know. I think he was like trying to hide who he was. Um, he was just like stealing and he wasn't he wanted to seem like he was a lot better than he actually was, which, and he was just, yeah, he was just lying about like graduating college, lying about what he did for a living, lying about how much money he made. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Interesting. And it sounds like he was trying to limit your ability to travel. Like, was he afraid? Yeah. Yeah. I think he knew that I was like, things were not going to end up in his favor. He was just trying to like yeah. hold on to me for every last little bit that he had. I see. Yeah. And so it sounds like you're so a lot of people have the quote unquote crying on the bathroom floor moment, you mm -hmm. know, and it sounds like yours was nah, fuck that. We're running. Yeah. 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 And so um, you were 21 around this time and yeah, this is 21. when you really got into running. Yeah, I really got into running. And how, how does the story unfold from there? Uh, yeah. So I, I got really, really into running. I remember that day I had to call my mom 
and ask her for her like three thousand dollars because we weren't paying rent i thought we were this whole time oh wow yeah and it was midterms and i was about to get kicked out of college if, or kicked out of my apartment if i didn't pay rent so i had to do that yeah I, I just started running and i remember just going to the student loan office taking out a bunch of loans started paying my own rent and uh yeah, shortly after that, just found that fitness was my way to get away and get through things. And then from there, I started doing CrossFit and lifting weights and got into bodybuilding. And so, okay. You graduate college. Mm -hmm. um, and then is the plan basically like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I need to run and work out because if not, I'm going to be angry. Like, what was the intent after you graduated college? Uh, after I graduated college, so I started um, doing competitive bodybuilding mm. whenever I was in college, like a few months afterwards, like probably not, about, I guess it was like a year afterwards after we broke up. And um yeah, I, I was kind of like caught up in that world, just learning. Uh, I'd gone through quite a bit of a transformation. I had like lost 20 pounds, competed, and then, um, yeah, moved to Houston and kind of just started out on my own. Still loved fitness, mm. though. That was like my thing. And so what was the first job that you got? My first job. Um, I mean, after you graduated. After I graduated college. So I actually didn't get matched into a dietetic internship program. I really wanted to be a registered dietitian. Uh, didn't end up getting that job and knew that I wanted to get out of Mississippi. And uh, so I took the first job that I had, which was actually through my aunt, the lady that I love her laugh. Uh, I took a job as a document control specialist for a natural gas company in Houston. Interesting. So now I'm starting to see the pathway of how you got to doing what you do. Yeah. It. Okay. So you started that job and uh, what's your life look like? Like what's going on? Yeah. So I moved to Houston. I was living in my uncle's garage in Houston and uh, yeah, working for this oil and gas company. And it was, it was rough. It was a rough part of my life. I had just changed a lot of things. I, I had a hell of a time making friends in Houston. I would even go to the extent of like forming meetup groups mm -hmm. um, and trying to host those, but I just never, never vibed with anybody there. What do you think is going on there? Because that, because you're the first person to say that you don't have a best friend yeah. and you're saying that you had a hard time making friends. What do you think is going on there? Uh, ultimately? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, well, at least when I was in Houston, I just felt like all my friends were like mostly males. And, but I don't think that most of them really wanted to be just friends. For sure. And then uh, the girls, I just didn't vibe with. I feel like kind of everybody had the same story, the same job. And I, and I was too. I had that same oil and gas job. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm curious, um, were you like, were there books or movies or people that were going on in the background that were influencing like what you cared about and what you were into? Like where you didn't just get swept up in the keeping up with the Joneses in Houston, trying to, you know, just like 
who has the nicest car and who's dating mm-hmm. who and who's wearing what like was there some undercurrent of like information that you were digesting or interacting with that kind of like gave you that feeling of these people aren't my people mm-hmm. say that was like right around the time i met my current boyfriend in houston uh no we uh we met in miami florida and he was living in san diego at the time okay cool so yeah. what age is this I was 23. So you had been doing the oil and gas thing for like a year. Yeah, I tried to cor- climb that corporate ladder. Right, and yeah. thank God that didn't work. I know. Um, <laughs> how did you find yourself in Miami? What was going on? Uh, I wanted to go to Ultra Music Festival with my cousin mm-hmm. and just party. <laughs> right, right. Um, so can you tell us about uh, when you met your current partner and then how that kind of changed the direction of uh, where you were going? Yeah. Um, I met Eric. We had this, uh, I met him at a pregame. We're getting ready to go see my favorite group ever, which actually happened. It ended up being his favorite group ever. I had no idea who Eric was, but my cousin called What's me. What's the group? Come on. Okay. Suspense. So my cousin calls me. I'm about to, or we, I land in Miami, Florida and she's like, Oh my God, guess what, Krista? I have above and beyond tickets tonight. I was like, shut the fuck up. Like had no idea they were even there. Um, was so excited. And so we're going, we get ready. She's like, yeah, this guy, Eric has the tickets, whatever. And then, uh, we go to this pregame and yeah, just kind of locked eyes with Eric and we just, I knew something was up with him. I didn't want a boyfriend (laughs) at the time. And yeah, we went to this concert and he just grabbed my hand. We ran to the front and just started dancing. Like, making out whatever got super sweaty literally never thought i'd see this guy again (laughs) um just thought it was like a fun night with him and then he ends up flying back on day three of ultra and we just hung out all day at ultra and so that was that was fun and so um it sounds like meeting him kind of changed your perspective on like uh what type of life you wanted to live yeah, he just had this um, like enthusiasm for life and living full out. And it's something I'd always wanted. When I was in Houston, I knew that there was something more than just staying in Houston and being a weekend warrior. I wanted to travel so much that I was even to the point where I was going to pay for my friends to go with me. Right. So going to Ultra was like my first thing. I was out of college, like blew a bunch of money and just had a had a ball so after seeing him and he he um owns his own travel agency and kind of just life is limitless to him it kind of gave me that like oh okay cool i found an, a running mate and um there there's more to life i gotta get out of houston absolutely so yeah. then what was the next step um when you got back from that balling out adventure and you came back to the world that you you know had quote unquote knew before but everything was different. What moves did you make to um, kind of change your life? Yeah, I uh, went up here. I I used to run away to Austin all the time when I was living in Houston. And even when I was living in Mississippi, I'd run away here and always knew that I wanted to be here, traveled here to see my cousin, that same cousin one weekend was like, I need to move here. I need to live in Austin and I don't need to give up on my dream to work in nutrition. Mm, I see. And Mm -hmm. so then uh, that led you to apply to Onnit? 
Yeah. So I was just looking on job sites and I saw a job at this company called Onnit. Had no idea what it was for a document control specialist wow. in Austin. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Drove up, up here during a hurricane, wow. <laughs> interviewed and got the job. That's awesome. So you start here and um, at least what I saw when I was working here is that you knew that the document control specialist was not what you wanted to be doing and you wanted to be in the gym. Yeah. Um, I think that this is a really interesting story to other people where you start at one position in the company and then you get a radically different position. How did you go about making that transition happen? Uh, so from the moment I started running, I was very consistent with exercise and that's just taken many different shapes for me. Uh, it's something I kept up while I was in Houston and even on day one at on it, actually I walked into my boss's office. He's like, well, we're going to change your title to, uh, quality assurance. I was like, I don't care. I don't know what that means, but we're going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I had my gym clothes packed on day one. I was like, I'm going to work out at the on it gym place seems pretty cool and yeah I just started I love the classes took all the classes and uh ended up doing another bodybuilding competition with Jenna when I was here cool. and during that time Juan uh was training Jenna all the time so he started training me one-on-one -on -one, like five days a week and I just loved it my first two weeks within being at the company I took my first on it cert wow and was just like a total on it cheerleader <laughs> For sure. and wanted to learn everything about fitness. And one day I remember working out with Juan and we came in and I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to write the workout today. I want to put you through a workout. And I just remember it, it was a tough workout. And, uh, he's like, yeah, I, I think you'd be really good at this. Um, and I was like, yeah, I think that'd be great too. I I'd, I think I'd, one day I'd really like to train. He's like, well, why don't you just um, find someone to train for free and see how you like it? Absolutely. Yeah. So I found this girl on my cycling team and she came in twice a week for eight weeks. And, and this is while you're still doing the uh, quality assurance. Yeah. This is still while I'm doing quality. I had no idea I'd ever be a personal trainer or fitness coach. And yeah, I loved working with her. And then uh, I was like, well, maybe one day I'd like a class. So I got this Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. class, mm -hmm. which actually I still teach. But yeah, that was about two and a half years ago. And so how did you go about actually officially moving from uh, the position that you were hired here to do to not doing this? Yeah, so uh, I taught that one class for about a year. And I knew I wanted a little bit more. I loved it. It was my highlight of the week. So I asked for a second class. I loved doing two classes. And then uh, one of the coaches had to leave to move on to a different career. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll step in. I'll take his class too. So at that time, I was doing a full-time job and then three classes a week. And running marathons. And <laughs> doing Ironmans and all this. And uh yeah. Then I, 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 it was always a conversation I had. I was like, man, I can do this full time. And I'd said that for about a year. And then, uh, we had this women's program idea come up last fall. And Juan was like, I think you'd be really great at coaching this group. I'm like, okay, well that's, that's quite a bit. All right. I have a couple of clients and I'd always had to just study 
clients come in. So I was doing both jobs and then, yeah, I started, uh, not, not hating what I was doing, but I never felt like I was making a difference in the office. And then I, uh, I know when I'm not on the right path cause I start having panic attacks and I just started waking up in the morning and having like anxiety. I'm like, God, I'm spending a lot of time doing something that I don't like. Yeah. And that makes me really pissed off. So, uh, yeah, I just kind of set a date and was like, all right, that this is the end of it. I'm yeah. I just need to follow my passion. So let's zoom into something. Um, it sounds like your internal guidance system is heavily calibrated by um, feeling panic attacks. Uh-huh. And then the response to that is anger. And then the anger leads to working out. Yeah. Does that kind of feel like your current like compass? Like if you know that you're feeling a lot of anxiety, uh-huh. the thing that motivates you to change is anger. And then you go and you make this change. Yeah. <laughs> and you're smiling as you say it, which gives me a vibe of like, yeah, I know that that's the way it is now, but I'd like to maybe tweak that slightly, right? Where it's not anger. Um, no, I yeah. like, I like having that edge. Yeah. I like having sure. that feel. So, um, let's zoom in. Uh, what, if you had to articulate how it feels in the body for you to have a panic attack, like what happens? Oh, it's, it's actually quite sad. Uh, I usually just fall to the ground and cry with my hands, my head in my hands. And, um, can you feel this coming on? Like when it happens? Yeah. Uh huh. And what, what arises in the body? Uh, tingles. I get a lot of tingles, especially in my stomach mm-hmm. and my extremities. And it just becomes harder, harder to breathe. And is there a pattern for how you get through it? Or is it just a thing that will pass on its own? Like, do you have to bring conscious awareness to how you breathe? Or is there like a position you get in that helps you? Yeah, breathing definitely helps. I lay in bed and I, yeah, I just try and breathe. Uh, I do a lot of things now on a more like maintenance mm-hmm. routine that kind of helps me avoid that. For sure. But I, I know what triggers my anxiety. And that what is triggers? that is uh, lack of sleep. Is so sleep is super crucial for me. And then uh yeah, whenever I'm not on the right path, that's when I start to get that overwhelmed feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And can you um bridge or link for me what happens in the panic attack that then leads to this feeling of i get pissed off like what happens between there uh <laughs> i i uh give myself pep talks mm-hmm. yeah like sometimes in the car i just have to talk to myself and <laughs> tell myself to shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and be grateful for what i have mm-hmm. and grow up and it's gonna be okay just gotta keep pushing so I'm curious, what if if you had to ascribe a character or a vibe to the coach in you that has to coach the part of you that needs the coaching? Um, how would you describe the part of you that needs the coaching? Like if you had to describe it as a character, and how would you describe the character who does the coaching? Uh, the character who does the coaching is my mom. She's mm. always had like a ton of tough love for me. Mm. Like I remember when I was like younger and I used to cry or she'd be pissed off at me. She'd be like, don't look at me. <laughs> Whoa. But uh, I always saw her as a, uh, just like, I, I respected her 
so much and she was always so strong. I, I had, didn't see my mom cry until I was like way older, even out of, out of college. I've seen my mom cry maybe like once. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she's a hard ass. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my my internal coach. And, uh, and what age would you say the internal Krista is that gets sad that needs the coaching? Oh, uh, probably around like eight years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is it the eight year old that, uh, does the crying during the anxiety attack? Uh, yeah, like eight or 20. Eight or 20. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Interesting. <laughs> okay, so you feel this anxiety and the sadness, and that activates this inner coach that has the character of your mom. Uh, who is the version that gets pissed off? Probably that 21-year-old. 20, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So really, it's probably like the eight-year-old is the one that gets sad. Yeah. And then the mom is the one that brings the coaching. Uh -huh. And then the one that's like, fuck this, let's go do it. Is the 21 or the 20-year-old who... Yeah kind of came out of you when you went through the um, realization that the engagement partner was maybe a psycho. Yes, exactly. And so is, is there a fourth character now, like where you are in your life? So there's the sadness, there's the coach, there's the pissed off, I'm going to go do shit. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's this older, mature part that like does the maintenance that like does the things preemptively that knows needs to be done even when things aren't terrible. Yeah. 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 That's, that's uh, me and who I want to be. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, what age would you say that character is? Well, I'm 28 now. So. And that character might be older than who you are now. Yeah. Uh, so but not much older. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. Heard. yeah. Um, now that you are where you are, what's the what's the goal like if if we imagined that the universe will give you what you asked for if you're really clear okay what is it that your um what is it that you would like to see made manifest from the universe yeah so i want to operate a healing center somewhere near the beach where people can come and have like a real reset and they're going to have flotation therapy and surf instruction and healthy food and meditation um some somewhere where really beautiful like uh resort style what do you see the path from where you are now to there being like what is what's the way of being to get you there well um uh, my boyfriend's float tank center is about to open up in about 10 days. Wow. And so I just know that that's going to open up so many different opportunities. We're going to kind of, I think, form that community and explore on, you know, in this landlocked area of Austin, like what that might look like yeah, yeah. so we can eventually plant it somewhere else. That's awesome. Um, what is it that you're most excited to do now i'm most excited to take my business uh into something that i've always wanted which is being a, a health coach yeah yeah and being able to just char charge for more than just fitness which is what i do now right 
but being able to open that up to helping people with whatever life they need help with or what area of life they need help with as far as their health goes. What's interesting is I really think that a lot of people listening to this know that they have a skill that if they got over their fear of being an imposter, they could be teaching other people. They could be a coach of some type. So I'm curious. I know that you've worked with a business coach about how to like get this stuff up Mm -hmm. and running. What advice would you give to someone listening who maybe is a a you from two years ago? Like, Mm -hmm. how do they start coaching people? Like, what steps would you offer to them? Uh, Well, kind of just a strategy that I love doing is uh, telling other people and kind of just getting them on board. So what I telling other people what what I like to step what you're going to do, mm. uh, I guess just like enrolling people in what you're trying to achieve. So that that's been a huge thing for me. Uh, I say that I'm going to do something by this date, and I tell as many people as possible. <laughs> to add the pressure, yeah, yeah, it's just the accountability aspect mm. of it and holding yourself to it. And so, like specifically, what were the first couple of steps that you took to transform from? being someone who's training a couple of people in person to now doing what you're doing now? Like, did you start a podcast? Did you start a website? Did you start an email list? Did you start like a free community workshop that you were inviting people to? Did you ask people that you know to tell people that they know? Like, what were the first couple of steps that you took? Back then or what I'm doing now? I guess, what has been the most significant thing that you've done in the last two years that's helped you become a coach? Hmm. The most significant thing that I've done, uh, just get to know people, form form relationships one on one. I feel like I I do best in in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell people what I'm after, what I'm trying to achieve, and what the greater intention is for, for sure. Yeah, if you could get all of the people who you work with over the course of the next ten or twenty years mm-hmm. to make one change. In their life like what is the change that you hope that you can get them to make with their health just period just period oh just start just do some do something that's uh gonna gonna get you there just throw yourself in the ringer awesome so i have questions i like to ask at the end that are like word association questions okay so like whatever the first thing is that i say just whatever comes up just offer it. And if it's something totally outlandish, we can edit it out. Cool. Okay. Okay. Word or phrase that captures your life philosophy? Live large. Word or phrase that cuts to the core of who you are? Rise and grind. What are you most afraid of? Ooh. Uh, not... Being, I guess, being vanilla. Being vanilla. Yeah. What is your most persistent problem? Uh, my most persistent problem. Taking on too much. Are you more street smart or analytic? Street smart. Slow or fast paced environments? Slow. Rule follower or risk taker? Ooh, uh, risk taker. Is your need for control low, medium, or high? Medium. 
Are you more intellectually or physically competitive? Intellectually. Are you more critical of yourself or of others? Of myself. Fast or slow decisions? Slow decisions. Pressure comes from? Uh, pressure in general? You can interpret it how you want. Yeah, like. sure. Um, within. And what does pressure feel like for you in the body? It feels like a, like a bottle about to explode. In your tribe, are you more a queen, a warrior, a magician, or a lover? A magician. It all comes down to... The people you surround yourself with. Success is... Inevitable. Love is... Beautiful. My vision... Is to... Help people... Stop playing small. <laughs> I am... Krista? <laughs> My purpose is to inspire the most defining moment of my life has yet to come and this is the last question let's say that you're 80 and that you've done everything that you've wanted to do and you know that you're going to die the next day peacefully in your sleep yeah how do you spend that last day and who do you spend it with Ooh, um i'm gonna have to eat chocolate chip cookies near the ocean with my boyfriend at sunset in san diego Krista, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you. Thank you.